All right, so yes, we're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 2 today, and we're going to be reading through uh, verses 15 through 24. When we find verse 15, would you please stand for reading God's word? All right, Genesis chapter 2, beginning of verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make, a, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the, of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we look to you again this morning asking for um, enablement, asking that you grant understanding of your word and grant uh, right application. Lord, I'm asking now as I'm about to give this message, uh, asking that you enable me to deliver um, your message with clarity and with accuracy. And Lord, use your truth just, just as you have said you would to sanctify us, to conform us to the image of Christ for our good and for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. <clears throat> well, um, we're going to pull off on a vista this morning. Um, I know some of you are probably thinking, we covered these verses last week when we, when we did uh, 2, 4 through 25, right? Um, and we did. Um, of course, we didn't exhaust them. We, ne- we never do <laughs> any passage. Um, but we did cover chapter 2 last week. But um, here's what I want to do. I, I think because I think, I think this will help us, not, not only in getting the, the big picture, you know, in, in terms of uh, what the Bible's all about, uh, but also just before we get into the fall in chapter 3, I think this will help us with that. Um, so I said we're going we're gonna to pull off on a vista this morning. One time when we were going through Arizona on one of our family trips, uh, one of the things I like out there, by the way, uh, although I'm not used to it being from Louisiana, but one of the things I like out there is that uh, you can see so far, you know, because there's, there's no obstacles. Uh, the, the trees are only like four foot high, you know, so I mean, you can see a long way. Um, and one time we were going through the desert and, and we go up on a, a mountain and there's a a vista on the side of the road, and you pull off there, and it's, it's just again being from 
Louisiana, you know, it's just uh, so unusual. It's, it's pretty awesome. But, but you, you pull off there, and, and you can just see for miles and miles and miles and miles. And I remember standing up there and, and just looking at the road. And it's fascinating because it's, it's almost like looking at an uh, uh, electric car set or something, you know, because you, you, you can see it for so many miles, and you see all the little trucks moving and all the little cars moving. At least they look little from that viewpoint. And, and you could see for miles behind us, you know, where we had just come from. And you could see for miles ahead, what, what lied ahead across the desert. So um, that's what we're going to do this morning. At least that's the plan. Um, you know, it's not good when you're, when you're preaching or doing a Bible study. It's not good to, to uh, chase rabbits, right? Go down rabbit trail. <clears throat> so by God's grace, we want to avoid that. But I do think it's good to pull off on a vista once in a while and, and try to get a, um, a broader picture, a broader view of things. So that's what I want us to do this morning. And, and uh, we'll, 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 what we're going to look at here is, is the relationship between man and woman, male and female, and more specifically, marriage. Okay, so husband, so husband and wife, more specifically husband and wife. Why would we, we do that? You, you know, what, what I try to do when we're, we're dealing with a text is, and you've heard me say this many a times, not original with me, it's just the, what I try to do, but um, you've heard me say this many times, the point of the text is the point of the sermon. That's the goal. The point of the text is the point of the sermon. So uh, this morning... And that's what we did last week when we were looking at, at this. This morning, though, what I'm going to try to do is not, not so much, or not limit us to what is Moses trying to convey in this passage in Genesis 2 by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I want us to, as I said, pull off on this vista and let's not only look back at where we've been, but let's look forward too. So in other words, we're going to consider a little bit the Bible's whole perspective on marriage and the relationship between men and women, men and women. And as I said, one reason I want to do this here is because it's not just to say, okay, here's 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 the whole Bible biblical view on marriage or on what we would call biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. It's not just to do that, although that's valuable, and we're not going to have time to do that anyway. You're not going to do that in one sermon, but. Also because it's going to help us when we get to chapter 3. It's going to help us understand what's going on there. And um, I think, and I, you know, this is one of those stay tuned till next week, I guess, but I, I think that when we get to chapter 3, having considered these things, we're going to have a better understanding of what Satan was up to and how, how he worked, how he was able to deceive. And, and we're going to, uh, uh, I think we can also understand uh, that his methods haven't changed a whole lot. They haven't changed any. All right, so I think it will help us in, in not just getting the, the, the whole big picture of the Bible, but it will help us in our study of this particular context. All right, so that's the reason I'm doing it. All right, so... So we're, we're thinking in those terms, and, I, and I'm going to try to be clear when we're talking about different things. Uh, so by the grace of God, hope, hopefully, I'll, uh, you know, just pray for me to be able to do that. Because it, here's what I'm getting at. The, the relation, the, the, there is a, um, a dynamic 
God-ordained dynamic between men and women in general. And I want to be talking about that. Um, limited, of course, you know, of our times limited. But there are other things that are specific to husband and wife. Husband and wife. They don't apply across the board, uh, or at least not the same way. They're specific to husband and wife. So I'm going to try to differentiate uh, those things as we move through here and not uh, try not to confuse you on, on those things. Uh, so I ask for your for your prayers in that. So we are talking about biblical manhood, manhood in general, and biblical womanhood, womanhood in general. But then again, um, we're going to zero in uh, also on um, marriage, husband and wife in particular, husband and wife. So in other words, what does it mean to be a biblical wife? What does it mean to be a biblical husband? Again, generally speaking, we won't have time for a lot of details, but generally speaking, um, what does that look like? All right. Now, let me say this, too, before we dive into this. If you're here this morning and you're single, don't think this has no application. He's fixing to talk about marriage. And, that's, that's, and this has no application for me. That's one reason I'm, I'm, I'm also, uh, well, and be, just because the text approaches it from a you know, womanhood, manhood thing. So I want to consider both, men and women, and then also husband and wives. But also, let me say this. When I, when I, as I'm, as I'm talking about this, when I say something about wives, every the ear of every Christian ought to perk up because there's going to be some application for us there as members of the bride of Christ. So if I say, um, you know, and 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 I'm, of course my goal is to be faithful to what the Bible says. But as I'm doing that, if I say, okay, wives, you're to do X, Y, Z, or your attitude is to be X, Y, Z, every man in here at the same time ought to say, you know what? There's application here for me in how to respond to Christ, how to relate to Christ, because we are the bride of Christ. So even when we talk about biblical. Um, how to be a biblical wife, uh, application is not limited to women. And I'm not saying that, uh, please don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying that because of the, uh, the, the current um, controversies that are going on in our culture. Um, a, a wife is a female. Let's be clear about that. All right? well, in fact, we will in a moment. But, uh, but I'm just saying, in terms of applying biblical principles, every Christian should consider themselves a part of the bride of Christ, and therefore, when Jesus says, or when the Holy Spirit says, here's how a wife should act toward her husband, every Christian ought to say, okay, there's something here for me regarding how a Christian should act toward the Lord, okay? So just keep that in mind. If you're, if you're single, there's definitely going to be application, all right? And, and if I fail to point it out, just keep that principle in mind, and you'll, and you'll find it for yourself, okay? All right, so... Here's where we are contextually, and and, and, uh, uh, in in fact, let me just go ahead and sum this up with a a real easy sentence. God created woman, uh, and then I'll come back to context. God created woman to complement man. God, and I'm, I'm purposely giving you a very concise statement here, but we'll try to unpack it as we go. God created woman to complement man. Now, check your spelling on that word complement. Because what I did not say is God created woman to complement man. <laughs> if you spelled it with an I, 
C-O-M-P-L-I-M-E-N-T, you got it wrong. It, it, it's an E, and there is a difference. Compliment with an I would be to say something like, uh, my, aren't you handsome? Uh, and so you're, you know, you're already, some of you are already thinking, this is uh, going to be a crazy sermon, you know. I mean, uh, God created woman to compliment man. So what am I I'm supposed to just, you know, stand around and give my husband compliments? No, that's, that's not what we're saying. C-O-M-P-L-I-M-E-N-T is wrong. It's C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T. Compliment. God created woman to compliment man. Now, uh, just to help us out a little bit, I went to, I went to Webster for uh, uh, just a, a concise definition of that word that is commonly used now um, by people who hold to what I would call the biblical view. I'll try to explain that in a moment. But um, here's, here's Webster's little definition just of the word compliment, with an E, compliment with an E. Something that completes something else or makes it better. Now, I would emphasize, in, in, as far as the biblical um, perspective, I think I would emphasize that latter part, makes it better. Something that completes something else or makes it better. Or another one-word definition is counterpart. Counterpart. So something that completes something else, that's, that's a, a compliment. Or something that makes something else better. Or a counterpart is a synonym. God created woman to complement man. So let's, let's just insert Webster's definition there. God created woman to complete man. Or God created woman to make man better. Or to be man's counterpart. Now, I, I did. We, I tried to highlight that some last week when we were going through the text here because um, here's what God says in verse 18. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. A helper fit for him. So that's what's embedded in that phrase. A, a, a helper fit for him would be, would be a counterpart. And, and he's showing us here in the text that um, there was no thing in creation that was compatible, no thing in creation that could fulfill that role. And that's why you have those following verses. 18, God says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper. And then he goes right into parading the animals before Adam to be named. And Adam names all the animals. And you might think, well, wait a minute. We, we got sidelined in the story here because God was about to create a woman. But then uh, we shifted gears or hit reverse or something, and all of a sudden God is bringing all the animals to Adam, and Adam is naming all the animals. Now, there's a couple reasons for that, I think, and one of them is this. It's, it's, to, it's to show that there is no fit counterpart for Adam yet. There's, there's no complement. And all the, all the animals, as assuming they're all paraded before him, male and female, um, he's getting a display here. Each animal, here comes the chimpanzee, and then there comes, a, assuming there were, you know, Sheila raised a question last week about how all that could be done in one day. Uh, you know, I think one way to think about that is this, all the animals in the garden. 
So not necessarily all the animals worldwide. Um, I don't know that there was a representation of every species there. I don't know. But we don't know that. That's one of those things, Robert. You know, it's hidden from us, all right? We talked about this morning. Uh, God knows. But all the animals that were paraded before Adam, Adam named. And we can probably safely assume that you know, they're all coming before him, male and female. So he's, he's seeing counterpart, counterpart, counterpart. Every, every animal's got another animal that complements them, completes them, or uh, makes them better. You know, an, an e- Let's say it this way, an equal counterpart or, or companion. And so it just highlights, that whole ordeal just highlights the fact that Adam is alone. And so we're told in verse 20, God gave names to all the livestock. Uh, and by the way, um, Lord willing, I'll, I will come back to this later, but that represents authority. The fact that Adam is naming these animals is, is part of his exercise of dominion. That's important. And I'll show you why later. But, um, and just to kind of bear that idea out so you don't think I'm pulling it out of thin air, think about uh, the pattern in Scripture. God calls Abram, and what's he do? Renames him. And what's happening there is the authority of God is, is being um, displayed, magnified, and the submission of Abraham, right? So God names, it's not the other way around. Abraham doesn't name God. God names Abraham. And God names Isaac, or renames him, right? Or Jacob, rather, calls him Israel. And, you, and Jesus does that, you know? Peter, Simon, Simon comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to call you Cephas, rock. And, and, and that's a sign of authority. If, that's why parents name their children. They're the ones in authority. It's not the other way around, all right? So that's, that's a sign of authority. So... Adam names all of the animals. But then, verse 20 goes on to say, there was not found a fit, a helper fit for him. So in other words, there's no compliment for Adam. There's no, there's no helper here, no other being that compliments Adam. So, God creates woman. Now, what I'm, what I'm going to, to get back to the word compliment for a moment, what I'm, going to, what I'm doing here is presenting to you what today uh, are just elements of what today is called the complementarian view. Again, with an E. So, so if, if you want to categorize, and, and I do, I'm, I'm going to tell you I'm a complementarian. That means I believe in this view that I'm presenting. Why? Because I believe it is the biblical view. And that's what I'm going to try to uh, show to you here. Uh, it's not just that I'm trying to embrace some system. You know, everybody's got to have a label and everybody's got to have a system and this and that. It's because I believe it represents what the Bible teaches. God created man. He saw that it was not good that man should be alone. And so he created someone to complement man. To complete or to make him better. To be his equal counterpart. We'll come back to that because we need to understand what we mean by equal. Equal counterpart. Now, we, we did, we did uh, talk about that last week. I, I just need to highlight it again. We're talking equal in personhood, equal in worth. Um, and so God created woman to complement him. 
Now, the scriptural word here or phrase is helper that is fit. A fit helper made just for him. And, and by the way, I, I would say, um, you say, well, um, aren't we called to complement each other? Yes. I'm, I'm just, I'm just uh, you know, the, the focus here is on, you know, God created man, then he created woman, so that's the, that's the order I'm, I'm dealing with. And that is in itself important. But yes, uh, in, in terms of uh, should uh, a man be considered, um, should we consider, um, you know, man and woman mutually complementing each other? Yes, yes. Yes. Now, let me say this too. Uh, I said a moment ago with the Webster uh, definition, the first part of that was something that completes something else. And, and remember I said, I, I would especially highlight, that, highlight the last part, something that completes something else or makes it better. In terms of the scriptural view, I would, I would, I would highlight that part. Here's why. Because I don't want somebody that's single to think, I'm not complete as an image bearer of God. Because I, I think that you are. And I don't think that the Scripture is saying anything different there. Um, but um, I think that being single and remaining single, I think the Scripture teaches, is a particular gift, gifting from God, that I would say um, belongs to a minority. So generally speaking, um, it, it's, every man sh- should have a wife and every woman should have a husband, generally speaking, except for those who are particularly gifted to be single and remain single for the glory of God, not so that we can keep the world population down or something like that. In fact, that is rebellion <laughs> because the command is be fruitful and replenish the earth. So that's rebellion. On the other hand, if, if, if you have the gift of celibacy and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to remain single for the glory of God so that I can focus all of my attention on serving God, then that is, there's nothing, uh, that's admirable. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing incomplete about that. But generally speaking, every man should have a woman uh, as wife Every woman should have a man as husband. So in that sense, we complete or make each other better. Because uh, men are lacking in some areas that women can fill up. And women are lacking in some areas that men can fill up. So God creates woman. He said, I'm going to create a helper fit for him. Now let me, uh, here, here are just a couple of uh, statements I want to make about marriage. Um, these are those kind of things that used to go without saying. And, and now you've got to say them. And you've and you got to be plain. So that's what we're going to do. Marriage was God's idea, number one. It's, it's not the result of societal evolution or something like that. Pure pragmatism. It was God's idea and it was for our good. So marriage was instituted and designed by God Himself. That's what we're seeing in Genesis 2. He says, not good that man should be alone. I'm going to create a, a, a helper fit for him. And, and you know, he does certain things. He, he creates a certain helper. It's not another male. It's a female. 
And it's not 12 females, it's one female. Okay? So he, he does certain things by design. And then, uh, I'm maybe getting a little ahead of myself here, but he gives them individual roles, we'll come back to momentarily. He gives them individual roles which are also part of his design. So, so God um, instituted and designed marriage himself. Marriage was instituted and designed by God himself. Thirdly, marriage is the union of male and female in covenant relationship. You see how specific I have to be because of, of the, well, let's just be honest, because of the, the confusion and rebellion in our culture today. Marriage is the union of male and Female. It is always, always male and female. It's the union of male and female in covenant relationship. Number four, marriage is the union of one... It's very similar. I'm just going to add a little bit to it. Marriage is the union of one man, male, and one woman, female, in covenant relationship. So not only is it male and female, but it's one man and one woman. The two of them became one. So that's number four. Male is the union of one man or male and one woman or female in covenant relationship. Marriage, number five, marriage is a lifelong covenant relationship between one man and one woman. So here I'm just adding that it's lifelong. It is a lifelong covenant relationship. We've talked a lot about covenant, so I'm not spending a lot of time on that right now, but let me just say this. It, it's, it's a special union. Covenant is a special union. This is not just the equivalent of a contract, like you go out and you know, and you hire somebody to do some yard work and you all draw up a contract and sign it. No, no. Um, this is covenant relationship. And it's lifelong covenant relationship. So, it, so it, it, the word covenant it implies something special and implies something uh, intimate. You know, we, we, we understand we're in covenant with God. That's an intimate relationship, all right? And it's, it's, it's lifelong in the case of marriage. And, and I'm, I'm being specific there because uh, uh, it, it ends with death. You know, if you're deeply in love with someone, and I mean you're, you just really appreciate them, um, sometimes you'll hear people say things that uh, sound sweet, and they're unbiblical. You know, you know, they talk about being together throughout eternity in, in, you know, in a marriage relationship. And that's, that's not going to happen. I mean, Jesus was clear on that. Uh, in, 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 the, uh, in our glorified state, in the eternal kingdom of God, there's no marrying and giving in marriage. Marriage is a lifelong, this life, lifelong covenant relationship. And if that saddens you because you love your spouse so much, let me, let me just assure you it's only going to get better. <laughs> what, what we have here is just a foreshadowing. So as good as it is, it's only going to get better uh, in our glorified state. So don't be saddened by it. All right? Um, and verse 6, it is the role and therefore responsibility of the man, husband, to love lead, protect, and provide for his wife and family. So I'm giving you four things there. Love, you want to remember these. Love, 
lead, protect, and provide for. All right, because there are some things that are that are uh, that we share. Now, now here's where I'm I'm, I'm getting into um, differences in role. They, again, it's part of God's design, and this is going to help us. Going to help us when we get to the fall in chapter three, um, as as we unpack this. Uh, let me just say for now, uh, it's 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 not mere coincidental or whatever that God made Adam first that He placed him in the garden first, that He commanded him first to till the garden, to work the garden before Eve was created, that before Eve was created, He commanded him or prohibited him from eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that before Eve was created, Adam exercised dominion by naming all the animals that were brought before him. That's not mere coincidental. That has to do with his role, the role of the man as leader. So, um, so there are things that we share. Now, here's, you know, let me give you a couple of things that we share. I, I, we talked about these last week, but I'll just re- reiterate them. We equally bear the image of God, male and female. That's Genesis 1.27. We equally bear the image of God. Now, see there, it, he does mention male and female. Um, so God, Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I think the, the point of that is male and female are both equal, equally created in the image of God. So, so we're equal in that sense. We're, we're both created in, the, we created in the image of God and therefore are image bearers, God's image bearers. Um, and so, as I as I tried to really drive home last week, there is an equality in terms of personhood, dignity, worth. Male and female, equal. That's that's a helper fit for. That's that's what that's saying. You, you've got a real counterpart. God could have just given Adam a good German Shepherd dog, and he'd have had a good companion, you know. But he would not have had an equal counterpart. He would have not had uh, um, someone to complement him in the sense of completing him and making him better. So, so we're not we're not talking about mere companionship. Companionship, yes, but not not just mere companionship. You can get that from a dog, or uh, sorry to say, cat. But no, you can't get that from a cat. You. You know, some other loyal animal. You know, we're not just talking about that, and we're not we're not just talking we're not talking about servanthood. Again, he could have you know, good horse, good beast of burden, and he's he's got a good servant, right? That's not that's not what it is. We're, We're talking about some something, someone equal in personhood, equal in dignity, equal in worth. A counterpart, equal counterpart, and yet distinct in some ways. So it's not equality across the board because the roles are different. Now, some people would say, now you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth because you just said equal in personhood, equal in dignity, equal in worth, and now you're saying unequal in role, and those are 
contradictions. And I would submit to you that they are not. And all you have to do to prove that, if you believe in the Trinity, is contemplate the roles of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are equal in being. So much so that Paul says in Philippians 2 that Jesus, being in the form of God, thought equality with God, uh, not something to be grasped, which can be taken a couple of different ways. One of the ways is that you know something to, to, to be attained to. But either way, he says there, he was in the form of God. And John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, that is, uh, literally the idea is face to face. So you, again, you've got a counterpart. Face to face, but then he goes on to say, the Word was God. And that's John's whole point. He, the Word was divine, equally God. And so Jesus could say, in one context, the Father is greater than I. And in another context, he could say, the Father and I are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he could do that without contradiction because they're true in different senses. But, but the, this, the bottom line is this in terms of the Trinity. One God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So one God, three persons. And, and the three persons of the Trinity are equal in power, in being, in majesty. But they have different roles. The Father did not die on a cross. And if you've read the Gospels at all, you know something about the submission of the Son to the Father. So different roles, all right? So uh, I'm back to number six here. Under our our list, God creates a woman and and a, a biblical understanding of marriage. It is the role, therefore... And, and responsibility of the man to love, lead, protect, and provide for his wife and family. So, husband, specifically, to love, lead, protect, provide for his wife and family. The wife, um, well, let me say two things here. One, remember I told you, uh, we're, in talking about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, uh, that's, I mean, that's a little bit different category than talking about husband and wife, right? So <laughs> let me say this and keep this in mind. And as I said, I will try to be clear and distinguish when I need to distinguish. But keep this in mind in case I fail to do that. When you're looking at a passage like Ephesians 5 and you see Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Or he says, Wives, submit to your husbands. What he's not saying there is women in general, all you women, submit to every man out there. Or just to be a little more clear, let me say it this way. The the woman's role is a role of submission, but she does not submit to every man in the same way. It doesn't play out the same way. So my wife, for example, is to be in submission to me uh, as, uh, you know, in the Lord, 
and uh, hopefully we'll get more time to expand on that as we go. Um, but for now, let me just make this point. She, she is to submit to me in a very, you know, um, th- there's, a relate, there's a relationship there, there of love and, 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 you know, there's a willingness to submit and follow my leadership and all that kind of thing, okay? That's wife to a husband. But to a stranger out on the street, just another man in general, she's not obligated to do that. Neither is any other woman. So how then would the submission play out? Well, it might be something as simple as um, how would the difference in roles play out? And I'm just going to give you a real simple explanation. You can you know, think this through on, on your own, other applications. But it might be something just as simple as letting a man hold the door open for you. Or if a man comes up and says, hey, you, you know, you got a 100-pound uh, purse. You're, well, he probably wouldn't take your purse. But let's say you got a, you got a, you got a 100-pound package you're carrying, and he says, could I take you... Take that for you. You know, that looks awfully heavy. Uh, it might be the right thing to do to say, sure. And submit to his desire to serve you. But that's, you know, just general relationships, men and women, it, it, it's going to play out something like that. It's not going to play out uh, in any intimate way that, that it would with your husband, right, following his um, leadership uh, of the family and that kind of thing. So, I, I don't know, I, I'm not able to give you, for the sake of time, I'm not able to give you much detail there, but hopefully you, you get the, the point there. It's the role and responsibility for the husband to love, lead, and protect, and provide for his wife. And yes, all men bear that responsibility to some degree to all women, so, you know, if you're in a bank robbery or something or whatever, you know, David might be in the bank and it's being held up and the guy points the gun in a woman's face and David runs over there and takes the bullet. Why does he do that? For a total stranger. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, you know, a lot of men would do that. Why? Because that's the way God hardwired us. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, well, there are women that would do that too. Yes, there are, and they do. But I would say this. If the woman didn't do that, nobody's going to think she's a wimp. <laughs> am, I, am I right? But if a man doesn't take that kind of responsibility, uh, he's running that risk. So you wimped out. I mean, hopefully that illustrates the difference. I'm I'm not saying that a woman, you know, that they're not brave. Don't don't misunderstand me. In fact, let let me say this too in terms of the different roles. It has nothing to do with worth, like we talked about a moment ago, or personhood, and it has nothing to do with competency. So when we talk about submission, if you think less than or dumber or more gullible or something like that, you're off track. And you need to get back on track with the Bible. And that's the very reason I was using the Trinity to make that point. You don't want to have those thoughts about Jesus because he's in the role of son. And you don't want to have those thoughts about your wife or any woman because she's in a role of submission. 
you, you might just, in fact, if you do think that way, you might just be proven the fact that she is smarter and more competent than you. <laughs> it could be evidence of that. <coughs> it has nothing to do with competency. It has to do with the leadership role that God has assigned to men. And I've been, you know, I've been married to a woman almost 30 years now uh, that is smarter and more competent than I am. That doesn't change God-assigned biblical roles. It has nothing to do with that. And it doesn't change the fact, uh, just to, again, just to give an, a, a simple illustration, that if we were walking down the street and somebody jumps out with a switchblade knife, it is not her responsibility to protect the family. It is mine. No matter how smart she is, that responsibility is on the man. Providing for the family is on the man. Okay? So it's the man's responsibility to lead, protect, and provide for. And the reason I put love on the front of that is because that's how Paul describes it in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. And the way that it's going to play out is through that kind of godly leadership, Christ-like leadership. You want to know what it looks like? Read the Gospels. Now, I mean, we can't be Jesus, but we learn a lot from Jesus, right? I mean, just follow his example. So what does is, what is this kind of leadership look like? Read the Gospels. You see it played out in how Jesus deals with the disciples. And I wanted to just add this to that statement. Here's the statement again. It is the role and therefore responsibility of the man or the husband specifically to lead, to love, lead, protect, and provide for his wife and family and I want to just add this, the wife, the wife having priority regardless of any past relationships or circumstances. If you are married, your, your spouse is number one in terms of human relationships. I, I think that's the scriptural view. This one flesh statement. I mean, I mean there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's some ways in which we might some good ways in which we might make that applicable to our children and so forth. Um, but it's not explicitly stated that way regarding our children. It is in terms of husband and wife. The two became one flesh. And Jesus says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Your first responsibility, your priority for the man is to your wife. Your first responsibility and priority for the woman is to your husband. Number seven, it is the role uh, and responsibility, therefore, of the woman or wife to willingly, willingly and respectfully submit to the leadership of her husband. Or, if you're thinking in those other terms like we were talking about, just uh, interactions with male and female out in the public square, there are ways that plays out. Um, letting somebody open the door for you or whatever, that's just an easy one that comes to mind. You can, you can willingly and respectfully do that just so that, you know, respecting the man's desire to um, take the lead role. But when you're talking about real intimacy, and you know, of course, that's just hu between husband and wife. You, you know, you don't you don't submit in those ways to other men. Uh, and one reason, you know, one reason the opening door thing comes to mind is uh, <laughs> there's 
that because it's a simple way for that to play out, a simple illustration of that playing out. But also, we were out in Phoenix one time, and I was sitting in Starbucks, and and this elder gentleman, and he was, I'd say he was probably around eighty something. He was a character. He was he was a live wire, but. Every single time without fail, he, there was there was three or four, five or six, I don't know, older men sitting at a table, uh, which obviously they met there every morning or whatever, talking and having coffee. But it didn't matter how deep they, they were into conversation or whatever. Every time a woman came to the door, he jumped up and went over there and opened the door for her. He did it for the women coming in and for women going out. Every time. And he'd, he'd shuffle over there real quick and hold the door. And one time he did that, and the lady got really offended. Young, uh, I don't know, she looked like she was probably 30-something. And she got really offended and, and uh, uh, tried to, in a polite way, I guess, tell him off, you know. I mean, she told him right straight up, I, you, you don't need to do that for me, you know. I'm, I'm perfectly capable of opening the door for myself. See, that is a total lack of respect and submission. Now... It, it was like water off a duck's back, you know. I mean, he just, you know. Uh, in fact, he when she left, he opened the door for her. <laughs> and you could tell she was fuming. Uh, but anyway, uh, so it's the role of, of women to, to willingly and respectively submit to male leadership. All right? Uh, and let's, again, let's, you, you, you want to think in terms of, of, of uh Real intimacy and closeness, that would, of course, be limited to husband and wife. And I do think in Ephesians 5, Paul is talking about husband and wife. He's not talking about women and men in general. Read Ephesians 5. He's, he's describing the relationship in husband, between husband and wife. And most translations translate it that way. Uh, it could be translated men and women, but uh, they translate it husband and wife because it seems obvious that's what Paul's talking about. So, uh, you know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And it is a willing, respectful submission. It, it, this is not a, a thing where that can be forced. I mean, e- even Christianity, there's a sense in which we submit willingly. In fact, that's the, the Lord said, I mean, it's prophesied. They, they will be willing, your people shall be willing in the day of your power. You know why? Because He makes us willing. He changes our heart. And we willingly serve Christ. We don't do it begrudgingly. That's no... What, I mean, where, where's the love in that? And it's the same way for women. You, know, you just say, oh, no, this is what i got to do. So, I mean, I just do, I'll just go along with whatever He says. Well, you've already blown the whole thing. Willingly, respectfully. Respecting His leadership, His calling as a leader for your family. And it's not unqualified. So just for example, you would never, ever, ever follow your husband into sin. Because your, your leadership it is, is qualified in this way. It, you submit to him in the Lord. In the Lord. So you never follow him. You know, he comes home and he says, you know, we're short on cash, let's go rob a bank. And you say, uh, no, I don't believe I'm going to do that. And he says, well, uh, you know, we believe the Bible and you're supposed to submit to, to my leadership. And you say, uh, yes, I believe the Bible and no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not submitting. Because I'm, actually, I would argue that would be uh, submitting, really. You're, sub- you're submitting to him in the Lord. You're saying, look, I respect you, I, but I'm not going to follow you into sin. 
So it's not unqualified submission. Um, husbands, love your wives. That, that means lead, protect, provide for them. Wives, submit to your husbands. Willing, respectful submission. Now, let me, because we're really out of time, let me just, let me just uh, kind of wrap it up here. And uh, next week, Lord willing, what we'll do is, uh, is go into the fall. And I, and I, and I want you to, to, I encourage you to, to think on these things because I'm, I'm going to be pointing back to some of this when, when we talk about Satan's deception, the, the, the snake, the serpent, when we talk about his deception and how, how he approaches Adam and Eve and, and you know, his tactics, because, because his tactics haven't changed. And it is so important that we understand um, the male-female relationship and the right roles of male and female. So let me just kind of say this in summing up today. And, I, and you know, we'll have to, we'll have to do a, a more in-depth study some other time. I'm going to do two things here. I'm going to give you some references that, I, that I'm, I, I don't have time to go to. So let me give you those first. And then we'll just kind of sum it up. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9. Or you can start at verse 1, really. That's all part of the same story. Matthew 19, verses 1 through 9. And Jesus um, alludes to this text in Genesis there. And, uh, and, and he makes the point there that marriage is to be between one man and one woman and it is to be for life. And he's actually responding to a question about uh, divorcing for any cause. Okay, here's the next one. 1 Corinthians 11, 7 through 8. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 7 and 8. And uh, that one, I'm, I'm, it just has to do with um, the different roles male leadership and, and uh, submission of women. Um, and Paul points back to Genesis and says, for man was not made for woman, but woman for man. That's, so in other words, he, he roots his, his teaching about the headship of man, and headship's the term um, Scripture uses. Man is the head, head of the woman. So he roots his teaching about the headship of man and submission of woman of women, he roots that in Genesis 1 and 2. In other words, it's part of the creation order. It's, it's the way God ordered things. So that's 1 Corinthians 11, 7 and 8. Next one is 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. And it's very similar. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. And again, what Paul is doing is rooting his teaching about the roles of men and women. He's rooting that teaching in creation order. This is how God ordered things. So this is not, you know, when we talk about the, the headship of man and submission of women, um, which is a very unpopular, uh, very unpopular uh, view in our day, but this, these things are not just cultural. What, what people tend to do is say, well, that was good for, you know, culture 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago or 10,000 years ago, but it doesn't work today. 
the reason Paul is, is rooting it in his teaching in Genesis to show this is God's intention from the start. In fact, uh, in speaking about uh, divorce, Jesus clearly says that. He said, from the beginning, uh, he said, Moses gave you a bill of divorcement, but from the beginning it was not so. It's not what God intended. It's not how God designed it. All right. Here's another one. First Peter 3, 1 through 7. I'm trying to be quick here. I know we're out of time. First Peter 3, 1 through 7. Very good passage for husbands and wives. And uh, one that zeroes in as well on hard attitudes. <clears throat> Ephesians, here's the one I've been mentioning several times. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Now, here's my little summation statement. And Ephesians 5, the the, the, the Passage I just gave you in Ephesians 5, we'll, we'll, uh, if you go back and look at it, we'll kind of clear this up for you, I think. But here's, here's my statement. The marriage relationship was created and designed to glorify God through imaging the relationship between Jesus and His bride, the church. The marriage relationship was created and designed to glorify God through imaging the relationship between Jesus and His bride, the church. So let me let me just say this, and this is one reason I'm going to say this in conclusion, and this is one reason you don't want to tamper with marriage. I promise you. <laughs> Hear me. You don't want to tamper with marriage. Because it has a specific purpose. And that purpose is to image the relationship between Christ and the church. It is a way the marriage relationship, the relationship between husband and wife is a way that God has chosen to display by means of a, of, a, of a type or an image to display the loving relationship that exists between Jesus and His church, the people of God. He, he didn't give it to us simply for our pleasure. It is for our pleasure. And it's full of pleasure. Like we say, you know, he, he gave Adam a helper to complete him, to make him better. He, and that's true of every, every husband and wife. We complement each other. But he didn't give it to us simply for pleasure or simply for pragmatic reasons, you know, utilitarian reasons like, you know, uh, of course I need a wife. I mean, who's going to take care of the kids while I'm at work, you know? Um, first and foremost, he gave us marriage to image the relationship between Christ and the church. That's the purpose in marriage. And it's not two males just like it's not two Christ's or two bodies of people called the church who join together. No, it's male, female, Christ and the church. I mean, that's the design God gave it. The male is a type of Christ. The female is a type of the church. The two come together as one in unity. They are not one in the sense of being exactly the same, um, like, uh, you know, like... Uh, Two males would, would give that impression, or two females would give that impression. They come together as a unity. Two different 
persons joined in unity. That's the main purpose of marriage. And then, of course, out of that, procreation, which, again, is impossible with two men and two women. I don't care what CNN tells you. It doesn't happen. One man, one woman for life. And listen, because I know most of you here, you say, well, you're preaching to the choir now. I mean, we all believe that. Okay, but listen to this, Christian. Our calling as husbands, our calling as wives is to image the glory of God in our relationship with our spouse. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Husbands do that through loving leadership. Wives do that, do, do that through willing submission. That's how God ordered it. Would you stand, please? The most important thing, as I said earlier, you know, folks, some in the room today that are single, the most important thing is not that you be married to another human being, have a husband or have a wife, but that you be married to Christ. So I can't tell you today, for example, like, uh, are you you one who is called to be single for the rest of your life, or are you uh, one who is called to be married, which by far the majority, you know, I, I can't answer that for you. I can tell you this, though. You need to be married to Christ. Anybody that's not married to Christ needs to be married to Christ. That's what the marriage relationship between man and woman pictures anyway. The real substance is relationship with Christ. So our subject is marriage. Subject is marriage, but what I want you thinking on now is where do you stand with Jesus Christ? We're going to pray and dismiss. And uh, if there's any question in your mind about that and you want somebody to talk to, by all means, I'm, I'm not in a hurry. Be glad to talk with you, pray with you. Other people in the room would as well. But don't leave here today without settling that matter. Let's pray. David, would you mind leading us? And we'll be dismissed.